Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called The Sovereignty of God in Human Conflicts and Weakness from Acts 15, 28-41 from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy. Please stand, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. If you have a pew Bible and you will need one today, if you um, know your scriptures very well, you can just use your phone or whatever. And we're in page 10... Um, 1099. Um, Actually, um, 1098 and then 1099. Man, I just messed up my glasses, got tears all in it again. I need somebody with a handkerchief. I ain't going to be able to see. <laughs> well, here we go. Um, ESV translation, starting with verse 28. Should be up on the bulletin here. It says, For it has seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well. Farewell. So then they were sent off. They went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and to see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Amen. You may be seated. As we walk through the book of Acts, we will encounter all kinds of stories. Some stories will be about God's work of salvation among all kinds of people, the rich, the poor, and all in between. Some with the excitement of God's amazing power of delivering people from dark and evil demonic strongholds. But some of the stories and acts that we will cover as we continue through this book, 
will be hard to understand, my brothers and sisters. Difficult grasping the main message, the main takeaway. You would have to sit with it for a while. Pray, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see what I can't see. Some of these stories will sober us in our attempt here in the 21st century to make Christians of the first century as people to idolize and perceive them as having no more sin problems, no more marriage problems, no more problems with the rearing of their children in an anti-Christ godless culture. And viewing them as having no more problems with the love of money and with worldly materialism. So we see them in the scriptures. We just assume that the marriage was always good, that they never fought with their wives or their children or with their husbands, that all of the wives in the Christian church of the time that Paul and them wrote these letters were all just took on wanting to be a submit to a husband. And all men wanted to lead. Not true. Not true at all. But nevertheless, I titled this sermon today, um, The Sovereignty of God in Human Conflicts and Weaknesses, or just Weakness. That's what I titled it. The reason why I titled that, because in spite of our human conflicts, both within the church and outside the church, and our weaknesses, which basically means that we have sinful proclivities and we make good and bad decisions even when we come to Christ, that God's sovereignty still triumphs over all of this. And he still accomplished his purposes through it all. This is why the song that Breedman and was singing God is faithful. In spite of where you and I may be, the mistakes that we will make along this journey, God is faithful. I love the Proverbs 1633. In the NLT translation, it says, we may throw the dice. If you have some dice in your hand, you can just throw the dice. Proverbs says, but the Lord, the sovereign one, he determines how they fall. You got to sit with that. You just throw the dice, shake them up, bake them up, throw the dice, 7-Eleven, that's how we used to say it back in my day, and where they land is determined by the Lord. You say, Pastor, I may not believe that. I know, but the Bible says this is true. ESV says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. The truth is that what human beings call luck or merely the sum of all the factors that we cannot see nor control, no dice roll or the casting of lots ever takes God by surprise. You can't get ahead of God. 
That's why I started off by saying he knows your thoughts from afar. Before a word is on your tongue, God already knows what you're going to speak. Even if you're going to curse your wife out, God says, I already know you're about to do it now. <laughs> Stop. Consider me. And you go for it and go for it. Go through with it. God sees it. So no dice roll. Casting of lots ever takes God by surprise. Some things do happen by chance from the human perspective. We call them chance. That does not mean they are arbitrary or random from God's point of view. Even those things we perceive as determined by chance are in the Lord's control. And this proverb points out that even those things we think of as pure chance, they are still under God's sovereign control. In this story today, I would promise you it will sober us. And it would give us a glimpse that even the men who saw Jesus, I've never seen Jesus. They saw him in the physical form. They saw how his makeup of his face looked. The length of his hair, how he walked, and how he talked. They saw him. They ate with him. Some of them may have cried with him. The word of God tells us today, but they still, that they encounter human conflicts and that they had sinful weakness that we are all under the sound of my force are very prone to, including me, the speaker. This story comes on the hill from the Jerusalem Council that we talked about the last two weeks, with the, the gathering of the apostles and the elders. And these apostles here are talking about those apostles of the Lamb, those who saw Jesus in the physical. They were not um, men who had not seen him. We know Paul met him later because Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus. We know that they're coming back from a debate. This debate was whether the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. They needed to keep the law of Moses. And at that Jerusalem council, the agreement was made as Peter gave the speech, James, the brother of Jesus, confirmed it, that salvation is of the Lord. But before I enter into this story and this conflict here today, um, I want to go back to a conflict um, that I didn't mention the two weeks prior because I knew I was coming to this, so I wanted to take my time to unpack it. But it was a conflict that transpired in Antioch. And in this conflict that we will see here today, it will give us some more important insight that most 
biblical scholars think may play may be playing a role in this conflict with Barnabas and Paul today. And I love the word of God. You know, it, it gives us only as much as we need. But the word of God doesn't try to put these guys up on pedestals. They're human just like we are. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them. But yet today we see what we see. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to page 1055. Turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Page 1055 in your pew Bible. Paul speaks about this conflict. There was a lot going on in that Jerusalem council that Luke doesn't tell us. It was a lot um, about the circumcision with the Gentiles and you got culture, you got ethnic stuff going on, you got, you got a lot going on. And Paul speaks to some of this. And these men are pillars in the church and the word of God and so tells us, hey, they're not perfect. And it should give you some hope today. You say, man, if Paul and Peter and James and John are not perfect, man, take the, take the pressure off. <laughs> Surely I'm not going to be perfect. So here it is. So Paul gets into this conflict that transpired somewhere before that Jerusalem council or some sort. And so here it goes. He says in verse 11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas was preaching, Paul says, I oppose him, two apostles, Peter who walked on the water, Jesus called from a fisherman. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That Peter, now Cephas. I oppose him to his face, Paul says. Hey, Paul, you can just get the kind of the mentality, man, he's a go-getter. He don't play around with this gospel. He's not a hypocrite. And the word of God said he opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Why was he condemned? Paul goes into the story. He's telling these Galatian brothers and sisters, in the churches that he's planted. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is ethnic hostility. This is black and white. This is like back in the 40s and the 50s. Black and whites didn't eat together. There were signs put up. Hey, blacks go here, whites go here. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. You better go over here and you better go over there. If you break those rules, the law of the land would have gotten you. And so, Peter, you know, but what does the cross say to this? It's Jesus told us to be one, to get along, to show the world that he is truly the Christ. But here it is. Peter is maybe he's, he's, he's losing the part of the gospel. And so Paul says he was condemned. Verse 12, or certain, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when these Judaizers came, he drew back. Jim Crow got erected, and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Man, fear of your friends and what they say about you being a Christian is real. Listen to me, young people. That's a real fear. When I became a Christian, my friends teased me, and I wanted to be accepted. That's real. 
Hey, man, take this weed. No, man, I'm done. Hey, man, cheat on your wife. No, man, I'm not doing that no more. Hey, man, drink this, do this, do this. They used to take, we drink 40 ounces in Grand Rapids back in the day. Here, Louis, here's a 40 ounce. Drink it. You used to drink it before. Coke, 45, old English. <laughs> they would put it right in front of me, Derek. Say, here, drink this. <laughs> you used to drink it? Pull out your gangster rap music. You used to dance to it. You had all your two short. You, you had that B word on your lips all the time. Curse. Come on, PA. They didn't call me PA. They called me Louis. Come on, Louis. Curse. Like you used to. No, man, I've been changed. No, man, we don't believe it. Some of y'all get the same pressure. Some of your unholy friends come around and you, hey, man, you really say it here. <laughs> you know, you chief keeping it. <laughs> it's like, hey, I failed again. <laughs> so Peter, don't, don't look at Peter and say, hey, I would never do that. Peter see them Judaizers. They said, look, man, you better not go in and eat with them Gentiles. They stink. 1945, you better not go in and eat with them football players on that black football team in Birmingham. Man, I don't want to be taking out the wheel. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> See you on the side of heaven. So Peter, same thing. Verse 13 says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So all the Jews are going along with this. So that even Barnabas, remember Barnabas is in the story. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, Paul says, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. So there's a lot going on in the text. If you go back to Acts 15, you don't have to go there, but it says that, yeah, let's go back there. Acts 15. Remember, um, Paul says these Judaizers came down. Look at Acts 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension in debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem. So some scholars think this is where it took place in that whole particular thing. Don't know. But here is why I make a comment about this Gal Galatians chapter 2 that could be feeding into what's going on with Barnabas and Paul today. One commentator on this story suggests that maybe Mark had been in some way, Luke doesn't mention him, but this is what this theologian says, that Mark had been in some way was responsible for inciting the Judaizers to action which put a strain on Paul and Barnabas' relationship and caused the confidence that they had in each other to be waned. But Dr. Luke doesn't tell us what really happened, and I'll answer that later on. And so, therefore, today we come to this story now that you have a little of the background 
in this conflict that came about. It says, And after some days, Paul said to the brothers, let us return and visit the brothers in every city. So it was Paul's idea to go back to visit the churches that he had planted with Barnabas. He said, where the word we proclaim the word of the Lord to and see how they're doing. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take this Greek word wanted here is bulimai. It's a strong word. He was determined, he says. He was determined to take with them John Mark, it says. This word bulimai is a strong-minded with strong purpose. So Barnabas was determined. By the way, John Mark was his cousin. You see that in Colossians 4.10. So maybe it has some blood relative stuff into it. Like, hey, man, I want to bring my cousin. You know, you know how your people say in Fairfield, man, no, man, you ain't fam, man. Blood sticking in water, you know. <laughs> so maybe Barnabas says, hey, man, that's fam. He may not be perfect, but he coming with us. So the word of God says, now these are two apostles, because we believe Barnabas was an apostle as well. So they're going at it, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Barnabas says um, he wanted to take with them John Mark, verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn. You go back to Acts 14, where they were going first on this first missionary journey. I remember John Mark, he left the battlefield. He said, man, this is too hard. I didn't know it was going to be like this in Fairfield. I'm out of here. Too many gunshots. Not enough coffee shops, Starbucks. I don't have no Chick-fil-A. Man, I'm out of this. I'm, I can't do this, PA. So John Mark, he was young. He said, man, I can't wear my J's. You got me all up in these mountains and stuff. You ever remember that guy, um, that newscaster black guy? He was out filming. Y'all probably seen it. I think it's on TikTok. And he was out there filming. And a uh, fly flew in his mouth. He started cursing and stuff. He's like, man, get me out of this country. <laughs> and I think John Mark, he had some of that in his spirit. He said, man, get me out of here. Out here up with these mountain terrain in Turkey. Got me out here. Oh, man, I ain't cut off of this, man. Give me Michael Tatias. I want to have a perfect Christianity. <laughs> I ain't got time for all this suffering and flies and bugs flying all in my mouth. So Paul... Say, hey, not taking him. And it says, John Mark left them, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and he had not gone with them to the work. So he bailed out. In verse 39, and the word of God says, Luke tells us, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. This Greek word here, it carries the ideal and the meaning of the word that is, is cutting. It's, it's sharp. It's cutting as with a sword. Their, their differences and their conflict cause deep pain and suffering to both of them. This was a really hard 
conflict. It hurt Paul and it hurt Barnabas. The word of God says, the sharp word means it, it caused them both pain. But both were determined that they were both right and they were convinced that they were right before the Lord. Neither one was backing down. I'm bringing my, I'm bringing my cousin. Paul said, you're not. I don't think he's worthy of it. He bailed out before. He wasn't faithful. He wasn't good enough. He left us and went back to Jerusalem. I'm not bringing him. And Barnabas will say, no, I believe the Lord wants him here. And he, I, I'm not letting him go. I'm a, I'm a man of encouragement. I can encourage him to be faithful. And these two men in the Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit, hurt each other. That they separated. Both believing that they were right. And it says that they separated from each other and Barnabas, look at this, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. As far as we know from the scriptures, there is no proof that Paul and Barnabas reconciled to the point of continuing in the active ministry together ever again. Let that sit with you for a moment. They never came back together. Never took any more missionary journeys together. You say, man, why would God put that in the Bible? I want to skip over that, Pastor. I mean, Paul, that's some of my best, that's one of my best preachers. They never reconciled. These two pillars in the church had a disagreement that Luke doesn't give any indication who was right. And who was wrong? Let me keep going. It is stories like this that sober us. And you probably feel this like, man, if that happened with Paul and Barnabas, whew, P.A. <laughs> we need some help. Sure do. Stories like this that sober us that you will need to rest on in certain times, hear me carefully, that you will need to rest on in certain times in this Christian life as it relates to certain disagreements that cannot be explained in black and white, but only by the Lord himself. I've been around some of those. They're tough. can't be explained. Who's right, who's wrong? They both believe it's of the Lord. That's how church splits happens, by the way. I believe the Lord's telling me this. You believe he's telling you that. There is no black and white. Let me give you a verse that you should put in your Bible and mark it. We don't preach on this enough. But I keep saying this to you when I get to um, Acts 17. Paul talks about this day of judgment. 
But this is one of these scriptures that speaks to it. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Here he goes, he says, he says, For we must all appear, talking to the believers. If you are a believer in the room, so this is to you, concluding myself. He said, For we must all appear, not some, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done, for what he or she has done in the body, your physical body right now that I'm looking at, your actions, everything you do, unknown and known to us, your thoughts, when you gospel and when you don't gospel, when you pray and when you do pray, when you're faithful in whatever, we must all appear before him and receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. And here's the thing about some Christians. There are things that we do that are just evil. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that there are things that we do. And Paul says, we're going to all come before him, the all-knowing, all-loving, all-merciful, all-kind, all-generous, all-benevolent, all-wonderful, all-amazing God. And give this account. Let me give you a few of those. See, in this life, brothers and sisters, I've seen this. You will see marriages separate and not be reconciled. And they will both be Christians. And you meet with them, they both say they're right. And you will weep and cry. And they will never reconcile. You will see them go up and get married to other people. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, Jesus will make a verdict on every decision that we have made, good or bad. He will give a verdict. You will see church leaders, staff people, church members separate and not be reconciled for a host of reasons. Sometimes you will see family members be separated. And not be reconciled on this side. Those are tough. Those are tough. But the question I have for all of us here this morning that we all need to ponder as it relates to all of that which I just said. Where is all sovereign, all-knowing God when all of these human conflicts and weakness are happening. Where is he? Where was he 2,000 years ago? In Antioch, when two holy apostles filled with the Spirit, where was God? Where was Jesus? Why didn't he just come in and show up? They both had seen him in the raw, so they knew how he looked. Jesus could have just shown up. Hey, what y'all doing here? Barnabas, shut up, Paul, be quiet. I'm the Lord of the universe. I'm the king. <laughs> what y'all got going on here? <laughs> that doesn't happen. But where is he? Is he, <sighs> he can't see. He ups, <sighs> Michael, wake up. Wake up, Jesus. What? <laughs> Paul and Barnabas sleep. They, they fight, man. Jesus said, what? 
Michael, come here. No, that's not going on. That's not happening. Jesus never sleeps nor slumbers. So that's a great question. So where is, where is he? When all of these human conflicts are happening and all of our weakness, I put here in my notes, this is where good reformed biblical theology about God's attributes really come into play. This is where you really, when this is where theology about God comes into play. His attributes. When we say God is all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, he knows all things at all times, at all generations. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in 50 years from now that we and you can't even perceive. It's when theology comes into play, what you believe about God, when suffering hits your life. You believe he's sleeping? You believe he's dead? You believe he's not alive? He understands when things go wrong in our lives? When you have conflicts with your wife and your children? This is where theology comes into play. What you know and believe about God. Because these things will happen. And what you believe about God in these moments matter. Do you believe he's all-knowing? That he's all-sufficient? That he's good, but he's just. As the song we were singing today, that he's faithful. Even when you're not faithful. This is where it comes into play. Does his plans and his purposes, do they become frustrated because of human conflicts and weakness? God plans his goals or goes away. Because we're fighting with each other. Is he able to accomplish his mission in the world through the church conflicts and weakness? Is he able to still accomplish the church mission in the world? And to both of these questions, the answer is yes. God is not frustrated. God's like, oh, I'm anxious up here. I don't know what I'm doing. That's what Hardy's fighting is doing. So, no. I used to think that. No, not anymore. And God is still accomplishing his mission and purpose in the world. Remember this disagreement with Barnabas and, and Paul? It all came about because of the mission to go back into the mission field carrying out Acts 1-8 to visit the churches that they had planted in the first missionary journey. It's been about 10 years now since Paul had seen these people. And so this is how the disagreement came about in the first place. It was over mission. Over how should we go about this? Who should come? Who should we bring? Who should we send? So it brought this disagreement that came about with these two apostles. But in verse 40, verse 39, Barnabas chose Mark, and the word of God said he sailed away. You could just kind of see in Luke the kind of the sadness. And he sailed away to Cyprus. 
But then in verse 40, but Paul chose Silas. You would say, okay, P.A., who's Silas? Where did he come from? I'm glad you asked. Go to verse 30, same page, 1099. Let's look at verse 30 to 35. This is important now because I'm going to answer. Who is Silas? This is important. It says, when they were sent off from the Jerusalem council, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Verse 32, you see it? And Judas and Silas, okay, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So Silas was a prophet of God. And then it says, and after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Now, if you're just reading that text, it seems as though Judas and Silas came into Antioch. They strengthened the brothers. They were prophets. And they were sent off. So they went back, back to Jerusalem. Verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay, remember now he chose Silas. Now, Quest, you're a smart guy. You're a biochemistry guy. Now, look at verse 33. Do you see it? What's, what comes after 33? 30 what? You see 35, so what happened there? Where's verse 34? <laughs> now, you say, Pastor, where's verse 34? Great question. It's not there. It's not in the text. But here's what we know what happened. Because the word of God says in, in verse 30 and 40 that Paul chose Silas. In some translations of your Bible, in biblical translations, it's not in the ESV. It says in some manuscripts, it includes, and it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So Silas didn't leave, though Luke doesn't put it there, but we know he couldn't just have shown up out of osmosis. And so because Paul chose him in verse 40. Here you see the sovereignty of God at work. What made Silas stay back? <laughs> Judas left. Others left. But the word of God says Paul chose Silas, who was a prophet. But Luke says he doesn't even put it in some of the manuscripts. You see, they say because some say in the original manuscripts it's not there. But we know he must have stayed back. But the question I put before you, why did he? Maybe the Holy Spirit say, Silas, stay back. Because the all-seeing, all-knowing, providential God knows what will happen before you have a word on your tongue. He knew that conflict was going to happen. Silas, stay back. Because Paul... It's going to choose you 
for the missionary work to go forth and carry on and carry out my purpose in the earth. So we see God's sovereignty working itself out in his purposes in the weakness and the conflicts of Paul and Barnabas and humans. But God always has a ram in the bush. That's why sometimes you're just like, man, God, you're so far ahead of us. So you wouldn't even see it in the text. You're like, oh, you're 33, 35. Like, man, I could count three, four, five. <laughs> and verse 40, Silas is still there. And Paul chooses him. That's the moral of the story. It's the moral of the story in your life. There will be conflicts. You will think, well, God can't use me. I'm done. Not true. Not true. Not true if you get a divorce that God still can't use you in your brokenness. Not true if something happens bad, mama dies before you think she should, should die. Not true that God can't use that. It's not true that God can't use suffering. It's not true that God cannot use all conflicts and our weakness. It's not true. God's not left it up to us, weakness and our strengths, that he will get his purposes accomplished. In fact, God says, when you're weak, I'm strong. My power is made better to you in your weakness, not in your strengths. And so we see, now where there was one missionary team, there were two. Even though church history tells us that Barnabas really went back to Cyprus where he was from, and that's where he died, that's where he was. But then later on, we see that the Apostles Paul, reconciliation with Mark, something must have transpired because we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Apostle Paul requests that Mark come, be brought to him. Paul says, for he's useful for me to him in the ministry. And so now I move to the communion table. God's providence, God's, God's sovereignty. Brothers and sisters, God knows that there are going to be many disagreements and ethnic clashes and the temptation not to like and dislike people in the Christian community and that we would try to separate ourselves from them no matter how much Holy Spirit we have. I see it all the time. In fact, I'm not going to mention the name, but there was a pastor here in town in our denomination that was having some disagreements with his flock. He believed he was right. Many in his congregation believed he was wrong. Who would determine? I know the Lord really got on me about this. He said, keep your mouth off of that. Don't mention that ever again about what you think because you don't know. I will make that decision on that day before the judgment seat of Christ. Who was wrong? Who was right? I said, okay, Lord, got you. Point taken. But I do believe somewhere in the story that the Lord convicted Paul with the attitude that he may have had towards Mark. Like I said, he asked for Mark later on to come to him. As he reflected on the Lord's Supper and its gospel implication to reconcile us to one another and keep unity as we reflect on what Christ has done for us. 
I want to um, go to uh, Acts, I mean, 1 Corinthians, and I'm at the Lord's table, but I want to show you something. You don't have to come yet, elders, but I want to make this point. Look at, um, it's on page 1139. Paul, he asked for Mark, said he's useful for me. And I couldn't imagine Paul writing this to the Corinthian church and to all the churches about the Lord's Supper and what it means, knowing what had transpired between him and Barnabas. As far as what we know, they never reconciled on this side. They never came together and sat down and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. Hey, man, I'm sorry as well. And Luke doesn't give us any indication that they ever did, nor do church history. And I imagine when Paul is reflecting on giving this to the Corinthians about what's happening in the Corinth church, which we're studying in the book of Corinthians, which is a bunch of factions, separations, divisions, not getting along, ethnic clashes, and all of the above. It's a mess. And so Paul says, but in the following instructions, verse 17, I do not commend you. See, I can't commend you guys. You're not getting along. Because you come together, is it not for the better, but for the worse? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Paul says, you're, you, you got too many disagreements. You're disliking each other among you. And I believe it is part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, and when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you in this? No, I will not, Paul says. For I receive from the Lord what is also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks... Now he says, this is the answer to all your divisions, your disagreements, all your arguments, all your dislike for each other. Here's the remedy. It's the gospel. He's, I want you to reflect on what Christ has done for you. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In the remembrance of me, for often as you drink, drink, for often as you eat and drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he goes on to talk about discerning the Lord's body, recognizing his, talking about among each other, recognizing, discerning the body, how you treat it, how you treat one another. And I, I just, I was asking the Lord, I said, I just have a sneaky intuition. As Paul was giving these orders to the churches, that God broke into his heart as it related to Mark and his disagreement that separated him and his friend Barnabas. I end here as I come to the table. You know, when the when the serving the church, the, the meal was this whole table was a it was a whole service. And Paul says to examine yourself to see 
Christ is working in you. Husband and wife, you're arguing and fighting. You got disagreements. What, what, the, what Paul said, when you reflect on the gospel, it says, no, man, work that out. Go to your spouse. Go to your husband. Go to your wife. Work it out. He says, don't come to the table holding on to all these grudges. I mentioned it last week. There's a lot of Christians in the church holding on to grudges, dislikes of people, and they come to the table not discerning the Lord's body as though the Lord can't see it. And I believe he worked it in Paul's heart. God says, work this stuff out. Because when you come to the table to meal, it's the gospel. And the gospel is saying to you, it's your worst day. I forgave you. Now and likewise, turn to your neighbor on the right and on your left and forgive them. But here's what happens with Christians over time. They don't discern the Lord's body. They come to the table irrationally. They don't understand what this is. This is the gospel. And what it's saying to you, reflect on it. You see this with a lot of older people. They start sleeping in different rooms. What happens in those matters? It's got hard over time. Your heart gets hard where the gospel can't work its way in no more. It don't really mean that much to you no more. Still holding grudges, sleeping in a different room with your wife. You know, man, for 45 years, you hate each other because you haven't allowed the grace of God to keep salving on your heart to where you don't hold, hold long grudges. You work this stuff out. And I believe this is what happened to our brother, Apostle Paul. And so with that, elders, you can come forth. And so um, this is why when you understand this, brothers, this meal is for Christians. This is not for unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, you don't believe God, you don't understand the gospel, don't come to the table. It's not for you yet. You believe the gospel. So only Christians can do this, forgive their enemies, forgive their, each other, because we understand what Christ has done for us. So with that, let me pray for the elements, and then we're going to partake of the elements. Father, bless um, this time. Bless these elements. Remind each of us, Lord, that we might be holding grudges against certain people in the flock. Help us to forgive, to let go, to make what is wrong right, to ask for forgiveness, and to receive forgiveness. So use these elements, Lord, to soften our hearts, to help us to see that you provided this in your sovereignty to help us to continue to, to abide together as one, to keep the unity, to always be fighting for reconciliation. We thank you for it now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.